recognition, and it's called Reformation Sunday. And Reformation Sunday is, is that day where we recognize what the, the beginning of the Reformation looked like as we think about Martin Luther, as we think about other reformers, and, and how they went out on a limb to speak the truth of God's Word into a, into a world that really had kind of lost touch with what was going on in the, Word of, in the Word of God and what God's Word was trying to communicate in lives. And so my hope this morning as we, as we remember that is that we would remember that so many years later after the Reformation began, we are still a people that are seeking to live out the Word of God in our daily lives in such a way where God is glorified, our brothers and sisters are edified, and we as individuals are matured in our faith. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, I thank you that we can come together in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that we can come together as part of a historical church. The church is not a myth. The church is not just some, some uh, social organization. The church is your plan for today, and it has been your plan for a long, long time. Thank you for those who have stood in the gap, those who have stood against opposition, those who have stood for the truth and have sought, oftentimes at the cost of their lives, to communicate your word in such a way where it can be understood, where it can be believed, and where it can be lived out. Father, as we come together yet again to a time where your word is to be preached, I pray that you'd bless this time. Uh, bless me as I seek to communicate. Bless the hearers as they seek to listen. And Father, may in the end, may we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As, as we think of the uh, Reformation, uh, I don't know if there are many Reformation scholars in the room. Anybody want to raise your hand saying you're a Reformation scholar? Yes, I will call you up here. Okay, good. I didn't think of anybody saying that. Uh, no, no, I'm not a Reformation scholar, but I, I have studied quite a bit about the Reformation. And, and as we think about Martin Luther nailing the 99 theses to the, to, to the wall, uh, to the door at Wittenberg, um, and, and it's, it, he wasn't seeking to overthrow the contemporary church of his day. He was trying to call them to account. He was trying to say, when we think of Reformation, it's reform. He was, he was just saying, hey, can we get back to Scripture? There are a number of things going on in our world in his day that we need to address, and the church needs to be proactive, and it needs to be right. It needs to be practicing right. And, and so here, I made a list. And as he listed off all those uh, issues that he wanted to confront, uh, Many had questions. What does this mean for the church? What does it mean for us? I've told you many, many times I love questions, and we've been covering questions, and I'm going to so just review a few of the questions and then lead us into a new question today. As we think about <clears throat> this question, how do I know that I know Jesus? We studied this a few weeks ago, and we discovered that I know, again, these are in the first person, so that you can read the slide and apply it to your heart. That's what I'm asking you to do. That's why it's in the first person. I know that I know Jesus. I hope you can say that. When I, what? When I obey him and when I abide in him. That is our desire as genuine uh, disciples of Jesus Christ is we want, to, we want to obey what he's commanded us to do. It's part of the Great Commission. 
We're supposed to do all those things that, that, uh, that, that Jesus has called us and commanded us to do. And so we can only do that because of Christ in us. We can only do that through the power of God, not through our own flesh. No way can we do that. And he, so we know that we know Jesus when we're actually able to obey. And if we pattern our life after in a, as a life of obedience, then we are abiding in him because we're constantly relying upon his direction, his guidance through his word. There are many people who would say they obey and say they, obi- they, say they abide. And they are not doing that. And that's really kind of the group we're going to look at today. But for, for our purposes now, how do I know that I know Jesus? I obey and I abide. Now, now that I know that I know Jesus, this is the question we considered last week. How do I know I'm maturing in my faith? And I, I would ask you, every morning that you wake up and you recognize God has put air in your lungs. He's put, he's, he, you're, you are a breathing, living thing. Would you ask yourself, how is God going to mature me today? We are in this continual process of maturing. We say the mission of our church is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That is what we uh, should live and breathe to do, to make disciples. And once we make disciples, to see them mature in the faith. But if you call yourself a disciple here this morning, ask yourself every morning, am I willing to take the next step in my faith, that will lead to that next level of maturity. How do I know I'm maturing in my faith? Well, we discussed that as, again, in the first person, that as I mature in my faith, my desires will align with the will of God. And so as you wake up in the morning and you, and you say, am I willing to mature? Am I willing to go to that next level? Is, hey, God, do your work in me. And then we should see that our desires that we legitimately have in this life, we have desires. And there's nothing wrong with our desires as long as we bring them up against the word of God and say, do our desires meet the will of God? And as we go day by day through our Christian life, as we ask those questions and as we are, are honest with ourselves and honest with God, we can say that as we mature, our desires will look more and more like the will of God. There are people out there who struggle knowing what God's will is. And I, I'm not demeaning. I'm not, I'm not putting down that struggle. That is a legitimate struggle that people have. But some people struggle because they don't understand how intricately tied together are the will of God and the desires of this, that this world offers and the, our desires that we have. We were, we were encouraged, or excuse me, exhorted last week to, to not fall in love with the world, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the pride of life, as we talked about the pride of lifestyle, all those things that we can have and do, right? As we mature in our faith, our desires should look more and more like the will of God. So uh, here's a new question for you today. How do I know that others know Jesus? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to get to a, a fourth question here in a minute. But as, how do I know that others? Well, it's pretty easy. Are they obeying? Are they abiding? All right? That's pretty simple. But how do I know? This is the question we're going to focus on. This is Because this is the question I think John is focusing on. Is how do I know that others do not know Jesus. Well, that's kind of a negative statement, Pastor. Why are we asking about how to know how people do not know Jesus? 
If you're not assessing in your relationships and the people around you of whether they know Jesus or do not know Jesus, then, then it's going to be very difficult for you to seek to make a mature disciple. Because to make a disciple, you kind of have to decide, do I need to share the gospel to draw them to Christ? Or, or do I need to share the gospel to mature them in their faith? It's one or the other. So, so it's important for us to engage in this negative question. How do I know that others do not know Jesus? Again, the simplistic answer is because they do not obey Christ and they do not abide in Christ. It's not part of their DNA. Their, their DNA is very much part of the world. They love the world and everything the world offers them. They're, they're distracted by it. They, they, they desire all the things the world desires. That's what Romans, that's what Paul in Romans says, they, they, you know, they're, they're, they're no longer, you know, as believers, we're no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to righteousness. But we have to understand, we've stepped from darkness to light. We've stepped from death to life. But those are those who are still in darkness and who are still dead in their sin, and they're still loving the world. It's who they are. And we need to love them to Christ. That's what we are called to do. So it, we can sit there and say, well, I know, there, there are those who do not know Jesus because they're not obeying and, and they're, not obi- uh, they're not abiding. As we think about the scripture reading that we did this morning, I want to actually encourage you with uh, a portion of this. It's the last portion of the text that was read for us. Uh, and, and, and it says this, And I saw the beast. When we see this beast, I want you to read in there the idea of Antichrist, all right? It's my understanding that this beast, beast is used in a couple different ways in Revelation, but I think what we're supposed to understand here is this is the Antichrist, because we see the Antichrist uh, uh, and the prophet come into into play here. But let's go ahead and read. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him. Let's talk about Jesus, who sat on the horse and against Jesus' army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, talking about the presence of the, of the Antichrist, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. We're, in this context, we're looking at uh, the, the bad news is that even in, this, in the end times that we're going to talk about today, there are going to be those who refuse to follow. Christ. They're going to be those who refuse to acknowledge his rightful place in their life. He is King and Savior and Lord. It says the beast was captured. False prophet was captured. They were deceiving. And, and it says he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. All right, we're going to talk about that uh, some future day, not today. And those who worshiped his image. And then he concludes these two were cast alive into the lake of fire with brimstone. I've always wanted to preach a fire and brimstone message. Here we go. All right? There, there it is. The legitimate use of fire and brimstone. God throws the beast. He throws the false prophet. And ultimately, we know, Satan himself is vanquished. And the two were cast alive into the lake of fire a, burning, a fire burning with brimstone. So, so as we consider this whole passage, it's essential that we understand something. And, and I want you to hold on to this deep theological thought, right? Ready for it? You know how my deep theological thoughts go, right? God wins. That's good news. That's good news because we can actually go to the end of the book, which is very close to this portion, right? We can go to the end of the book and we can say, God wins. 
And the fact that God wins at the end has implications and, and consequences for us in our present. Because if God wins and we are God's children, there's good news for all of us. But as we go into this text today, I want us to consider for, for God to win means there are those who are in opposition to him. There's, there's people who oppose God. Well, who in their right mind would oppose God? Nobody in their right mind. But everybody in their fallen nature until they come to faith in Jesus Christ. For God to win means there are those that, uh, that who, who oppose him. And so that's really, I just want to touch on two verses. And don't worry, I'll take the whole preaching time in these two verses. Trust me, all right? I proved it true already. As we think about these two verses, let's just read them uh, uh, and then we'll jump in, right? Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. What in the world are you trying to communicate, John? And Pastor Greg, why in the world are you only focusing on these two verses? Well, as you remember last week, we we were encouraged in our faith as Christians. And we were exhorted to live out that faith. But what we're doing, what John is doing for his readers and what I'm trying to do in, in obedience to Scripture and, and as my job here is to give you a warning. And here it is. It's the big idea. Those who oppose Jesus have never been part of his church. Well, how does that warn us? Because there's all kinds of confusion about what the church is, who the church is, who the people are. People are leaving the church, Pastor. People are leaving Christianity. What does this mean for us? Are people leaving the church and they're no longer Christians anymore? You know, what is going on? We live in a world that is conflicted and confused. And as I, as I go into the text, I want to, this is what we're going to build up to an understanding. Those who oppose Jesus, there are legitimately people who oppose Jesus Christ. They have never been part of his church. Now, I failed in a future slide, but it's correct on here, all right? A couple different slides. I am making a distinction between Big C Church and Little C Church. Big C Church is a church of all ages. It's God's church. It's Christ's church of all time, of all people that have come to faith in him. And that's what we're, those who oppose Jesus have never been part of his church. Some people call it the universal church, and some people don't like it being called the universal church. So I'm just going to call it church with the big C, right? Those who oppose Jesus have never been part of what we as believers in Jesus Christ are part of. That's, we'll work into that understanding. So John is warning Christians to see two signs. He's saying, listen, as you look at the signs uh, that are going on in your life, first century Christians, actually maybe even going into second century Christians, he's saying this, sign one, there's a sign of opposition you need to look for. That's verse 18. And secondly, there's a sign of sovereignty you need to look for. That's verse 19. If we will keep these two signs, if we'll look for these in our life, in our church, and in the church, then we'll understand why it's so important that we understand that those who oppose Jesus have never been part of his church. Now, this, these two verses are just building into this portion. It's, it's, we've started a new section. We're going to see that as we go. But it, I'm just, I just wanted to cover these two points 
um, for today. There's two verses for today. So we're going to look for the sign of opposition, the sign of sovereignty. As we can look at verse 18, uh, this, this sign of opposition, we're going to see opposition to Jesus is a sign of the times. Do you, have you noticed how many people are not favorable towards Jesus Christ in our world today? Is there a place where we can go in our society and in our culture where we do not see opposition either to the name of Jesus or to all that his word teaches? We live in a world that is in opposition to Jesus. And as we consider this world that we live in, we have to understand we, ha- we are called to live in this world. Not to be apart from the world. We're not supposed to participate, participate in their sin, but we need to be in the lives of, the, of those in the world so we can bring them to Christ. Make disciples. So as we, as we look at this, we start out, he starts off this. That's one of the reasons we know this is a new section. He says, little children. These endearing words. No matter what age they were, we've established John is very old. And he's saying, little children, it's talking to all believers, uh, from, from little ones, uh, new believers, uh, all the way to old people who are, you know, have been, been, along, been believers for, forever and ever, right? It says, little children, here's the warning. It is the last hour. Well, what does he mean by that? He's obviously focused on it because he says it again. He says, it's the last hour at the very end. He says, by this we know it is the last hour. The church has often been uh, distracted by the end times discussion. When I say distracted, it means that rather than making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ, let's have prophecy conferences. Let's have end time conferences. And, and I'm, I'm not actually, I, I am belittling them, and I'm sorry. All right? I've never been part of one. All right? So those of you who have been part of it, I'm sure they were done to God's glory. But I know people who are who are distracted with the end times to the poor. You know the whole saying, right? They're so heavenly minded, no earthly good. It's the idea, let's, let's talk about end times. Let's talk about the fascinating things that are going to happen. Let's do that. And they forget to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. We can't do that. And John is saying, listen, I am warning you. I've encouraged you in your faith. I've exhorted you to live right. But now I'm warning you, it is the last hour. He says, you have heard that in this last hour that the Antichrist is coming. So what last hour are we talking about? He's talking future here. It's the last hour. And as you have heard, you've heard in the past, that the Antichrist is a future reality. Capital A, Antichrist. This is a, this is a future uh, uh, tr- promise, really, really, that this Antichrist is going to come. It's going to appear in the church. And he's warning them, saying, we're living in the last hour. I love how whenever an author of Scripture in the New Testament applies the truths of, of Scripture to their writers and, and we get to apply it to us today, that we are literally in the same hour. Yes, hours have passed, years have passed, decades, decades have passed, uh, uh, thousands of years have passed. But we're still in this last hour. This is the, the idea of, of the end times, and we are here, and we, it, is, it is our now. We are told it is the, the last hour because we're saying, and he says, because we know it's the last hour, uh, listen, you've heard of this Antichrist coming. Uh, he says he is coming still. But notice, it gets worse because he says, you've heard uh, that the Antichrist is coming. 
And oh, actually, one, one parenthetical thought. I'm sorry, I forgot I put the slide in here. We talked last week about the idea that Christians have been taught the gospel. That's really important for us to learn the gospel, right? God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, right? The Son of God became man, lived that sin, sinless life, right? Taught people about the kingdom of God. They rejected him. They hung him on a cross. He died. He was buried but on the third day, he rose again, showing he has power over sin and death because he paid the sin debt. He died, but then he rose to new life, right? He lives, uh, he ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again, which is also part of the end times. So when, when we, what we talked about last week is that Christians have been taught the gospel. And if you come to faith in what Jesus has done on your behalf, then you can call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. But we talked last week how they also were taught the love command. And this is where I think our catechism, I can use that word, it's not a bad word. Some of it has been overtaken by uh, liturgical churches and different things, but catechism's not a bad thing. It's a way of learning, right? In their, in their catechism, in their way of teaching people, they taught them the gospel and they taught them the love command. But notice what else they taught them. They taught them about the reality of the coming Antichrist. I think these things are deficient in the church today. And this is, this is the main reason I only wanted to do two verses today. To talk and make, make sure that you understood. Because listen, we have people who have been Christians for years and years and years and years. But we have new Christians in our midst. Do you know the gospel goes forth both publicly through the preaching of his word, through the, the private conversations of his people, and people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is happening in our church. I encourage you to seek to be participating in that, in making disciples, right? Doing that, uh, that, that grassroots witnessing, giving testimony of what Christ has done in your life. But listen, why not, why shouldn't we also teach the love command? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's, let's love each other in Christ. Let's love like Jesus. But let's also point out to the reality that there is an antichrist who's coming. And this antichrist is, is Satan personified. It's Satan, you know, indwelling in an individual. And I'm not going to get into all that, but I'm just saying, this is a real person who is still yet to come. And we need to help younger Christians know that this is a reality for their future. In other words, as they unpack Scripture and as they understand how this thing works, this person is real. But it gets worse because he says here, even now many antichrists have come. Little a. They're already here. And this is the focus of, of what John is, is, is warning his church and what we need to warn, be warned about. Many antichrists have come. It's the idea that those who oppose Jesus, Antichrist, Antichrist, uh, there's a couple ways you can take that. I'm taking it from the standpoint of in opposition to Jesus. Those who oppose Jesus have the spirit of the Antichrist. You want to know how you know that someone's not, they don't know Jesus? They have the spirit of the Antichrist. They are, they are driven by the world and the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that, that, is, that is their reality. And who's behind all that? Satan. 
And that, that same spirit that Satan influences the world with, it's, it's in the Antichrist. And so we say those who oppose Jesus have the spirit of the Antichrist. Another way of saying this is the little, anti, the little A Antichrist have the spirit of the big A Antichrist. So it says, he says uh, uh, this, this truth. He says, by which we know, right? So he's saying, listen, even now many Antichrists have come. They've, they're already in the world. Back in John's day, and you can imagine if they were in John's day, they're in our day. He's saying, by which we know what? That it is the last hour. This is a little bookends to this little section. Little children, it is the last hour. How do we know it's the last hour? Well, you've heard about the Antichrist. Well, there are already Antichrists, and that's how we know. So the presence of Antichrist, little a, is proof that we are in the end times. Now, let me just pause here for a minute, because part of that is good news, right? The way it's the presence of Antichrist, well, that's bad. People opposing Jesus, that's bad. But the very reality that they are in our midst is proof that we are in the end times. And if we're in the end times, Jesus is getting ready to consummate all things. All things are going to come to consummation. God, Jesus is going to return. Sin is going to be dealt with final and forever. We'll have the, the false prophet. We'll have the, 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 uh, the beast. We'll have Satan all thrown, right? They'll be gone, removed, and, and we will be in the presence of God without sin forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen and amen, right? That's the good news. But folks, listen, we live in a world where the presence of the Antichrist is proof that we're at the end times, and there are people who still don't believe in Jesus Christ. We ought to have a sense of urgency towards telling other people about Jesus. Not for a notch in our belt, but to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. So, as we consider verse 18, that's this idea that the reality is there are antichrists in the world and we are in the end times. That, that's true. When we get into 19, we see the second sign. So the first sign was opposition, opposition to Jesus. The second sign is the sign of sovereignty. And when we talk about sovereignty, we're talking about God. Uh, many people get itchy twitchy when it comes to this word sovereignty. Oh, he's going to start talking about Calvinism and all that. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the Bible teaches that God is all-powerful. He's, he's omnipotent. He has all power. Nothing overcomes God. He is all-knowing. There is nothing that is outside of his knowledge. Not your little sins, not your big sins, not the sins of your great-great-great-grandchild if he chooses to tarry. And not certainly uh, he's, he's not ignorant of anything from the past. He's um, uh, omniscient. But he's also on the present. He's everywhere. Now, the Antichrist, or let's just put him off to the side. What's behind the Antichrist? Satan, he's a single being who has limited knowledge, who is limited spatially, and has limited power. Why are we so hung up? Why is the world so hung up on following someone that's ultimately going to be destroyed? Because he has deceived them. And there are deceivers in our midst. But what we can be encouraged by is that perseverance of Christians for us to continue in the faith until the time of Jesus, you know, bringing all things together at the end. When all that happens, we as Christians can be comforted by this truth that perseverance of Christians is a sign of God's sovereignty. 
So we're going to unpack. I think we see this in, in verse 19. And so I'm going to call your attention, first of all, to this, I, this word, they. They is referring to verse 18, the Antichrist, little a. These Antichrists went out from us. It says, but they were not of us. So one thing we need to consider is the presence of Antichrist is something the church must recognize. And, and that should probably be little c. All right, It could be both in this context. And later on, it's definitely a little c, and I put a capital. But the presence of Antichrist is something that the church you know, that exists today in any, any little c church across the globe, we ought to be aware of the fact that there are little Antichrists out there and they're seeking to deceive. They're seeking to influence. They're seeking to draw people away. They're in the church. That's, we'll get to that in a little bit. But for, before we get there, so we're talking about the reality of Antichrist, little a. Notice how many times they're referred to in this one verse. They went out from us. They were not of us. If they had been of us, they would not have continued us with us. But they went out. They might, that they might be made manifest and none of them were of us. John is like, listen, it's important we understand who these people are, but we also have to understand who we are. Notice how many times he uses the word us, first person plural, right? He's like, is that right? Third person plural. I'm forgetting my English. Ignore that man behind the pulpit when it comes to grammar, okay? So they went out from us. Notice the prepositions before each of these. They, the Antichrist, they went out from us, the legitimate believers. They were not of us. They were not part of our legitimate gathering. They were not truly faithful to Christ. They had never come to saving faith. Because if they had been of us, if they had legitimately been part of us, they would have continued with us. It's pretty simple. I'm just making it you know, more confusing by saying it over and over again. But listen, we got to know who they are. We got to know who we are. We are those who are of Christ. The Antichrists are not part of us. They went out from us. He says it again. They went out. So the reality is, is this, uh, is, is this truth. There are Antichrists in little C church. It should have been little C church. That's, that's what I was going to emphasize. In churches, in John's day and in our day. Do I know if there's a little C, uh, 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 excuse me, a, a little A Antichrist in our little C church? Do I know if that's true? No. And I don't really have to weed them out. We're going to see how, the, how God does that all on his own, right? And, and actually with, with their help in, in a sense, right? So there are antichrists in churches. That's what John is saying. Be warned. These people are out there. And they're seeking to deceive you and draw you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they are in opposition to Jesus. No matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, when you get to the heart of what they believe, they're in opposition to Jesus. So they went out from us, and what we see is two things take place. But they were not of us. We know that, right? Uh, and then we see that they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not of us. All right? that they, that, excuse me. That none of them, emphasis is on none there, all right? That none of them were of us. John is making a categorical statement. There has never, ever, ever been an antichrist, little a, big a, doesn't matter, never been part of the legit, legitimate church of Jesus Christ. Never happened. But they had infiltrated the church 
And notice it says they went out from it. So John is saying that there were some of these little, C, anti, little a antichrists in the church that they know of, and he's writing to, and he said they have come out. So at some level, they have removed themselves from the associating with the legitimate body of Christ. So those who separate themselves from Jesus never, ever knew Jesus. This is going to come in important a little bit later as we deal with some local, or excuse me, some contemporary uh, working out this, this, this whole text. Those who separate themselves from Jesus never knew Jesus. Uh, one, of the, one of the quotations I'll share with you today is, is here. This is uh, from F.F. Uh, F. Bruce in a commentary by Dan, Dan Aiken. It says, It is clear that having one's name on the church roll does not necessarily mean that one's name is written in the book of life. That's just saying that in any given little c church, you're going to have believers and unbelievers. And there's coming a day when people will uh, enter into the presence of God and they're like, oh, goody, we're in heaven. No, depart from me. I never knew you. You were never part of my church, God said. Somehow they had been deceived to believe that they were right with God when they were not. And this, this little statement here is it's clear that having one name on the church rolls. Just because, you know, the old statement, uh, you know, Christine and I used to listen to um, Keith Green. I don't know, he's, he's before Steve Green, right? When I first got saved, I listened to his music a lot. And, uh, and, he, and in one of his songs, he said, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? And you probably know one of your other statements, right? That, but it's the idea that, listen, just being here in this time and in this space means nothing to you spiritually if you never bow the knee to Jesus Christ. If you never confess your sins and say, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, forgive me. And thank you that I can receive your grace, your free gift of salvation because of what you did in your death, burial, and the resurrection. Have you come to Jesus? We invite you to come to Jesus. We, in other words, come to faith in what, who he is and what he's done. If you don't understand it, we need to have more conversations. But listen, just because you're here or just because you're joining us online, it doesn't mean that your name is written in the book of life. And that's not good news if you're not in the book of life. It says very clearly that if they had been of us, if... if these little a antichrists had been of us, they would have continued with us. This is the idea of the preservation of saints. The, the, um, and, uh, and I know, if, uh, based upon the word of God, if, you've, if you are truly saved, you will persevere because it has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with God. So perseverance of Christians is a sign of God's sovereignty. We don't do this in our own strength. This is God who does this. He's the one who knows. He's the one who has all power. And, and so he says very clearly, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Right? That's, that's the reality. But notice, they didn't stay. Going back, they said they went out. Right? But then God made manifest. Right? They went out that they might be made manifest. This is God's sovereignty in action. We, we, we wrestle with sovereignty because it's like sovereignty of God, free will of man. And we know from the rest of Scripture that we are sinners. It's been that, that sin nature has been passed down to us since our father Adam. And therefore, we're sinners because of his sin. 
but we are also sinners because of our sin. And, and now that's true. So as we, as we think of this, you know, um, it says that, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought, but they went out from us that we might be manifest. Um, I totally lost my, my train of thought on there. So I'm just going to jump right back in, and if, if I can connect that, I will. If not, it's true regardless. Okay. All right. So what are we to make of Christians who leave the faith? All right. So as I'm wrestling with this text, as we're wrestling with this text, if they had been of us, they would continue to be with us. The perseverance of the saints, right? But they went out from us. So two things we see happening. They left on their own free will. They went out from us on their own free will. And two, where we see the, the, uh, the sovereignty of God is that it was made manifest. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were with us. God did a work. He did a work in their lives. They were guilty of, being, of opposing Jesus. And so they couldn't take the church anymore, so they left it. But they also left it because God moved them out. God said it's important that these antichrists be exposed for who they are. They must be identified and removed from the church. This is not talking about church discipline, by the way. This is talking about genuine people who are in opposition to Christ or not believers, right? For long story short, church discipline is, to rem- is the purpose of restoring people to the fold, not getting rid of them, right? At every level of church discipline, you're hoping, will they repent? Will they repent? Will they repent? Will they come back to their faith? Not that they are no longer Christians anymore. Uh, it's just that they are not living the Christian life. They're, they're continuing in their sin, all right? But what are we to make of Christians who leave the faith? So this is... Um, what we have here is this tension that exists in our world today. Maybe you are one. Maybe you know one. Maybe you've heard of people who are leaving the Christian faith. They, some people say, I tried it and it didn't work. I don't believe those people are, are, are genuine Christians, right? You don't try Christ. He rebirths you, right? You're born again. But there are people who are leaving Christianity, and it should have your attention, there are pastors leaving Christianity. There are Christian musicians who are leaving Christianity. There are Christian theologians that are leaving Christianity. And what are we to make of Christians who leave the faith? And my question is, is that the right question? Are they leaving their faith? Or are they having issues with the expression of faith? Are they actually in opposition to Jesus? Or are they actually in opposition to the way Jesus is being worshipped? And Because uh, I'll tell you, there's this one name that he'll, he'll come up. It's uh, Josh Harris. It's old news for many people, right? The, the guy that wrote um, uh, I, Kiss Dating, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, right? Uh, he wrote the book. Uh, he, he became a pastor of a, a very well-known church. And, and he proceeded to eventually leave the church, divorce his wife, and claim that based upon all his understanding of what a Christian is, he's no longer a Christian. What are we supposed to think about that? And he's just an example. There's a, a, a theologian or a scholar who taught at, at, at a seminary, a very famous seminary, and he's done the same thing. There's Christian musicians that have done the same thing. There are children of people within our church body who, if they've not done the same thing, they're thinking about doing the same thing. They're conflicted. What are we supposed to think about these folks? Well, I want to take you into um, uh, 
Uh, another, um, well, as, this quotation, let me hit on it quickly. I'm, I'm running out of time. Uh, th- this guy Cooper, I'm not going to go into who he is, all right? He's in the, in the Christian music industry or whatever, but he was like calling out what's going on in relation to these leaders who have left. He says, he said that he is shocked by how unashamed these leaders seem to be as they announce they are no longer Christians. He observed that essentially they are saying, I've been living and preaching boldly something for 20 years and led generations of people with my teachings, and now I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loudly tell people it was all wrong while I boldly and loudly lead people in my new next church. Excuse me, in my next truth. And then Cooper says, why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you are headed? And so when I, when I ask this, I don't think he's belittling these people. I think he's saying, listen, you're having a crisis of faith. Can you keep it to yourself and stop acting like an antichrist and leading others to be opposed to Jesus? Because although you may be, either you never were a Christian or you're a Christian who's conflicted and confused and you're going through this process and and the end of your story has not been written yet. He's just calling them out. Go through this struggle behind closed doors and, and talking with people that you know and respect. Search the scriptures. Don't Create a new pulpit and preach a new gospel because you're hurting the church. So it reminded me of Jude, uh, the book of Jude. And so we're going to walk through this, and I just wanna, I'm just going to make some comments as we go through. Um, he's, Jude writes, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called legitimate Christians, sanctified by God the Father legitimately, and preserved in Jesus Christ. There's that word, right? This, Jude is talking to us. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. He says, oh, sorry, went too fast. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I wanted to write to you about, about salvation, all that we have in Christ. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I wanted to talk about salvation, but I'm telling you now, you need to get busy. Contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For notice this, certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Antichrists have infiltrated the church. Jude is saying. He goes on and, and says uh, in verse uh, 10, but these speak evil, talking about the Antichrist, but they, these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. That's going back to Romans 1, by the way. Uh, easily uh, tie that, those two together. He says, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Uh, have run greedily in the error of Balaam uh, for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. What, what he's saying here is, is very clearly this issue of people departing genuine faith, right? Departing, uh, having an opposition of God. This has been going on since the beginning from Cain to the legitimate prophet Balaam. But listen, he is, he's a wicked guy, even though he's a legitimate prophet. And, then, and in Korah, right? In his rebellion. 
And then he, he jumps into verse 14. He says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. This is talking about our future, right? To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. Among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh uh, things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Do you see how they're ungodly? They're opposition to God, right? He says, these are characterized, right? They're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. John, last week, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And they mouth great swelling, uh, swelling words. This is the idea of boastful words. The Antichrists are... are They do this stuff, but the Antichrist will do this. He will boast great things, horrible things, blasphemous things, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, he's talking to us, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Notice what he says here. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. These mockers are the Antichrist. And, and the apostles, the ones that walked closest with Jesus, Jesus warned them they would be here. They would, be, they would come on the scene. The apostles, they, they told the early church. And pastors and pastors through generations and generations have been called to warn the people of God, beware, be warned, there are mockers, there are little a Antichrist in these last times, in these last hours upon which we lived. Who, who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who, who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Now, this is talking about the divisions that, that uh, the, the little a Antichrist actually cause. Not every division in a church is, is due to the anti, any, little a Antichrist, right? But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit... Um, Sorry, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. All right, we're gonna we're gonna go there for a minute, right? This is what we're challenged to do. How listen, we're gonna we're gonna deal with it. What are we to make of Christians who leave the faith? Well, we're supposed those they were never really Christians if they left the faith. But what are we supposed to do with those who leave our churches, right? He's saying, listen, there may be those who have left that have been influenced by these little a antichrists, and although they're genuine brothers and sisters in Christ, they have left the fellowship. They're still children of God, but we are called to what? He says very clearly, we are to have compassion, right? He says, on, and on some, right? He says, keep yourselves in the love of God, love like Jesus, right? Uh, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion. They're there, but they don't want to be. It's the influence of, of naysayers and, and wrong teachers, making a distinction between them and the legitimate antichrist. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And then we'll, we'll close on this, right? Because I am out of time. Now to him who is able to keep you. Folks, do you need some encouragement in your faith today? Do you need to understand that although this reality that Antichrist exists in the church, that you are being preserved by God? 
That's part of the good news of the gospel. Notice what Jude says here at the end of his, his letter. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Right? We're supposed to have compassion on people because they've stumbled. But from him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to preserve and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. This is why when we consider the, this idea, those who oppose Jesus have never been part of his church. It's conf- we live in a confusing, conflicted world. And we are supposed to love our brothers and sisters through the hard times that they are encountering. And we, so we need to recognize as a church that antichrists are real. But two, not everyone who leaves our church is an antichrist. They are brothers, some, many, most, are brothers and sisters in Christ who have differences, have, have new, uh, different things going on, or they're, God's just calling them somewhere else. So let's make a distinction between these two groups of people. And let's pray for both of them. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the way you work in our, in our lives uh, through your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can be encouraged, we can be exhorted, and we can be warned. May we heed the warning, Father. There are those out there that are seeking to uh, lead in the direction of opposing Jesus, and we ought to distance ourselves from them. But We ought to recognize them for who they are, But, Father, for those that are not in opposition to Jesus, but just in opposition to maybe their life experience in the church, they've been hurt, they've been harmed, uh, they've been taught wrong things, and and they, they, they leave because they just don't understand. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in, in these children's lives and draw them back to you so they can, they, they can be restored to legitimate fellowship. Father, we we thank you that those who identify themselves as being opposed to Christ separate themselves from church, and we thank you that you are working in them to separate them so that we can know that we are the body of Christ that seeks to have a regenerate church membership, people who have bowed the knee to Jesus, who have come to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the good news that we will be preserved because of what you are doing in our lives. Father, may you find us responsive to your word to share the gospel, to live the gospel, and to do all things for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.